Not every place, even in this country, has that opportunity today. And we thank and praise you for that. And as we praise you and worship you, we express verbal praise from our heart. We know that it does battle in the heavenlies. You inhabit the praises of your people, and you hear and answer prayer. You gave us that picture in the book of Revelation, how the prayers of, of the saints go up in there. It's like bowls of incense that arise as a sweet-smelling savor to you. And Lord, we are praying, and we've prayed this morning and asked for answers to prayer. And we thank you that you hear and you answer prayer. And you are pleased. It, it smells good to you. It's, it's pleasant to you. And I pray, God, that we would just begin to understand this relationship that we have with you, that you desire our prayer, you desire that relationship, and you love us so much, and you want to answer prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Please be seated. Pastor Josh. If you want to follow along today, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, and we're continuing this series on our identity being in Jesus Christ uh, here in the book of Ephesians. So chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your masters in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service or men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men." Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Well, we talked last week about uh, the, the household uh, husband and wife relationship, well, now we, we go a little bit further uh, into the relationship between parents and their kids and also the head of household or masters and slaves. And, and as Paul continues into this kind of uh, uh, direction that he's giving the church, it, it's good to keep in mind what culture he is living in at the time. I, I think it's hard for us to really grasp exactly uh, who he's preaching to because we have a different culture. He is preaching in this Greco-Roman world, and it is far different than our world. And one thing to keep in mind is the Romans were very proud of their culture. The Romans were very proud of who they were as a people, and one of their biggest fears was that an outside culture would come in and begin to change and undermine what was going on in the empire. And so that's why they had very strict rules about what religions could be uh, legal and which ones were outlawed. A lot of times they outlawed a religion because they saw it with suspicion. They saw that it was a religion that was going to come in and undermine the Roman authorities and undermine the Roman culture and try to change them from the inside out. 
And so this is why a few hundred years or a few generations before Paul, you actually had that in the Greek world uh, and, and soon the Roman world, Judaism was outlawed. Judaism wasn't allowed. They, they were very concerned that the Jewish people would come in and change the environment. And pretty soon a war happened and Judaism became a legal religion with its own bounds, with its own rules to live in. And so Paul is actually preaching from this point. He's preaching to a group of people that are practicing a suspicious religion. He's preaching to a group of people that they're practicing Christianity and the people around them still aren't sure if Christianity is going to be safe or not. They're still not sure if Christianity is going to be a religion that undermines the entire empire and will cause everything to come crashing down. Or if they really are a small Jewish religion, and so they're safe. Okay? So when Paul is preaching to his people, he's preaching with this in mind, that they are under the microscope, that the authorities are suspicious of them, neighbors are suspicious of them. People in in small communities, when they hear that there's Christians there, they begin to get afraid. Uh Uh-oh, they're coming to take control and take over. So when Paul preaches this to his people, he's trying to preach in a way that that understands that, yeah, we are different. And yeah, we are going to change the culture, but we're not here to try to undermine your authority. We're here to live under God's authority. And so as he continues in these rules and regulations for the household, he starts with the children. And, And he gives instruction for children in the household on how to live and how to honor their parents. And again, uh, he, he's, not, he's not preaching now from the Roman culture. I believe he's actually preaching from the Jewish culture. Remember, Paul grew up in a Jewish household. He was a Pharisee. He studied under the law. And so this command that he gives children to obey your parents or to honor your parents actually comes from the Old Testament law. If you look back to Exodus chapter 20, that's where God gives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And when he gives those commandments, one of the commandments in there is, uh, children, honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is right. And, And Paul says this is actually the first command that isn't just a command, but it's the first command that comes with a promise. That if you honor your father and mother, things will go right with you. If you do what your parents are told, you will have a long life. And I don't think that was just because parents will threaten to take their kids' life away if they disobey. I've heard that one before. But the idea was that in the household in in ancient Israel, they believed that the household is where the faith and the covenant with God would be passed along. It was was, uh, their understanding that the head of household would understand the laws of Israel, would understand the covenant that God has with Israel, and then in that household, the father would be teaching his kids what the laws are so that as they grow up, they would understand that they too are in a covenant with God and they too are to follow those laws. And if they do follow those laws, if they do maintain their covenant with God, their life will be prolonged. And so when Paul says this to his people, I think he's coming at it from this Old Testament covenant perspective that says, children, you have Christian parents. Listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. 
Do what they tell you to do. He specifies honor. He doesn't just say honor your father and mother. He, he specifically says obey them. Do what they tell you to do because they are passing the faith along to you. I was just looking this up. I, I did some math here because I was trying to figure out how much influence do we have within this church. And, and I, I was looking at it. If you drop your kids off, uh, or I mean if you're coming into church at 9 and you drop your kids off to the connection classes and then you stay for service, we have about two hours to make a change in your kids' lives. Two hours out of the entire week. But if you add up all of the hours throughout the week, that's still 166 hours of influence that they have outside of this church. And so when Paul tells his people, children, listen to your parents, he's giving them advice. He's saying, you're only going to be in service a couple hours a week. You're only going to be around other Christians so few times in the week, but when you're in your household, you're always around a Christian community. Do what your parents tell you to do, and the faith will be passed along to you. So Paul gives this advice to the households there in the church. He says, children, honor your father and mother. Do what they tell you to do. Be obedient. And then he moves on in the household, and he talks about the slaves. And he talks about how slaves should be living within the household. Now, I, I know I mentioned last week that, I, it, that preaching on wives submitting to your husbands was a difficult topic. I think this one's a little harder, talking about slavery. And, and here's why. Our understanding of slavery today really does not match the kind of slavery that Paul was speaking to in his day. You go back 2,000 years and you talk about what slavery was. Slavery was, first of all, it was all over the world. There, there is not a culture that has not practiced slavery in its history. And the kind of slavery that they would have seen there in the Greco-Roman world would have been a slavery that was more akin to a indentured servitude. Uh, that could be that you owed somebody a de debt, and so you offered, let me work for you. But more likely than not, the kind of slavery that occurred in biblical times was a type of slavery where you didn't have anywhere to live. You were as poor as you could be. You had no household. Maybe you had parents that kicked you out of the household. Maybe you left because of shame. Maybe you did something that dishonored the family, and so the family said, we cannot have you living in our household anymore. Or maybe you had a kind of life where you have lived it in such a horrible manner that nobody wants to help you out. And so what people would often do in those situations is they would go to households that needed servants and they would offer, let me serve in your household. And so you would take them into your household and it was kind of this pseudo-adoption. You would bring them in, they would be a part of your household. If you were uh, filling out an IRS sheet today, you would list them as a dependent of the household but a non-child. Okay, The slave would come into the household, would do everything you told them to do, and their pay was that they got to live and they got to eat. That was about it. They were the lowest position in any household. They were below the children. They were below extended family members that came to live in. They were below anybody else. They were the lowest members of the household, and so they were oftentimes mistreated. 
And so when Paul comes in and begins to speak to the slaves, he, he tells them something interesting. You see, the Roman world, like I said, they, they were a different culture. They were afraid that Paul was going to come in and preach to the slaves, you need to revolt. Listen, we're a different religion. We, we shouldn't stand for this. We need to start a revolution, and we need to take it up with the authorities, and we need to kick Caesar out of the throne, and we need to establish a new land. See, that's what the Romans were afraid Paul was going to be writing here. But it's really interesting. Paul doesn't write that. In fact, he writes something that we're oftentimes really uncomfortable with. He says to the slaves, the lowest of the household, he says, obey your masters. No, 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 that, that's too easy. He doesn't say obey your masters. He says, work for God, not your masters. Because God can see everything, can he? Your, your master isn't always home. He doesn't always know if you're working for, a, for the household or not, but God can see. And so he says to the slaves who are often mistreated, often the lowest level in the household, he says to them, Work as if, though, Jesus himself is your master and he's watching over you every moment of the day. Don't work to try to gain any authority in the household. Don't, don't just work when somebody's standing around. Don't just work when the master comes home for the day. He says to the slaves, work as if, though, God himself is present in the household and work with sincerity of heart. Tony Evans, a, uh, a pastor down in Texas, he's most famous for preaching at the Promise Keepers gatherings back in the 90s. He's got a ton of books. In fact, our Thursday group is going to be reading one of his books here this spring. Uh, in his commentary, he makes a point that the best application for this passage when it comes to slaves and masters is how we act in the workplace when the boss isn't present. How do you act when your boss isn't around for work? Are you working as hard as when the boss shows up? Are, are you really working with sincerity of heart? Are you actually working as if God is present? Or are you only working when your boss arrives so that he can see you doing hard work and will give you that raise? It was a commercial uh, Emily and I were talking about back when we were kids. I, I don't know if anybody remembers it, but it shows a brother and sister sitting at home, and it shows how the sister is walking around the house, and she's picking up laundry, and she's wiping things down, and, and it shows her vacuuming, and the brother is just sitting there doing nothing, watching TV. And then the sister turns off the vacuum, walks away for a moment, and, and it shows the brother walk up, and he turns on the vacuum, and just as he does that, the mom walks in the home, smiles at him, hugs him, and thanks him for working on the house all day. Are you that kind of worker when your boss comes, that, that you're not doing anything, and then the boss arrives and you turn it on? See, the point that Paul is making here is, if you really are working for the Lord, you're going to be working day and night with sincerity of heart. It, it sort of takes the boss, it takes the master, it takes people in authority out of the equation, and, it, and this command really makes you realize 
everything we do in our life should be done to God. Because we're not going to give God our second best. We know that he sees everything. And so when Paul gives this command, he's, he's really giving this command to all Christians. And everything that you do, serve the Lord. Well, he doesn't just stop there. See, it's interesting. At, at this point, I would say if the Romans were reading Paul's letter, they would congratulate him. They would say, Paul, if this is Christianity, this is the kind of Christianity we want in our culture. Paul, it is amazing that you've told your children to obey their parents, and it's amazing that you've told the slaves to work for God and that they should be working all the time. We need more solid preaching like this. Good job, Paul. And then Paul does what Paul does, and he continues. See, he doesn't just tell the children obey your parents, he actually goes on and then he looks at the parents and he, he does sort of the unthinkable. He says, now parents, you need to live a life in such an honorable way that your kids want to obey you. He, he says to the parents, it's not just on the kids to obey you and to honor you. Don't exasperate them. Don't, don't push them to anger. Don't, don't sin around them and expect them to still follow God and still obey you. You see, what Paul is doing is, is he, you can almost say he's leveling the playing field in, in the Christian community. And he's saying, yeah, parents, you have authority in your household. You are supposed to pass along the faith. You are supposed to discipline your children. You are supposed to expect your kids to listen to you. But you've got a parent in a way that your kids want to listen to you. Studies have found over the last few decades that a child's view of their father oftentimes informs their view of God. And so if they have a father that is loving and compassionate as well as disciplined, they have a view of God that he is loving and compassionate and disciplined. But If children grow up in a household with an absent father or an abusive father or a neglectful father or a father that doesn't pass along the faith or has no faith, oftentimes kids grow up and their struggle with God is the view that he can be abusive, that he can be neglectful, that that he doesn't care about your faith. And so Paul's command to the whole Christian household is live together in faith and pass this faith along to one another, fathers, parents, moms. Practice Christianity around your kids. And, and, and I, for, first of all, let, let me just say something that made me feel better when we were planning to have a family. No family is perfect. Does, it, does that help anybody else out here? <laughs> My dad used to tell us that growing up. He would just remind us. He'd say, well, every family has its dysfunction. And it was usually after we did something dysfunctional as a family. It sort of just made, okay, if I had to pick a dysfunction, I'm going to pick my family's dysfunction over that family's dysfunction. So every family is imperfect. But every family can still be sincere and genuine in their faith. Be honest with your kids about your faith. Be honest with them about the struggles that you run into, but the perseverance that you strive for. Be honest with your kids about where you're at and 
where you want to be in your faith. And your kids, whether they're in the household or not, are still going to look up to you and are still going to look to you as an example in their own faith. That's what's so important in children. Look to your parents for guidance. Look to your parents for what you should be doing as a Christian, and they will guide you. And then Paul moves on. All right, if you thought him telling the parents what to do in the household, if you thought that was absurd, he does something. I, I, I can't quite stress enough how absurd this would be in the Roman culture. Remember, he gave all of these commands to the slaves. Remember, slaves, work as if though you're working for the Lord. Work with sincerity of heart. Don't just work when the boss is around. He then turns to the masters and says, Hey, everything I just commanded the slaves to do, you're expected to do as well. Ideally, what Paul would have done if he were being a good Roman citizen, which he wasn't, ideally, what he would have done is he would have commanded the, the masters to live a certain way. He would have said, Masters, live in this way as if though you're living for the Lord. And masters, we know that you receive all of the honor of the household, and so treat your household well. Oh, and slaves, do everything your master tells you to do because we expect them to be honorable. Do you see the difference? Paul starts with the lowest member of the household and says, live like Jesus Christ. And then he looks to the highest member of the household and says, look to your slave so that you know how to live properly. That is radical thinking. And he says to the masters further, he says, don't mistreat them. In fact, Whatever you do in your household, you have to answer to God. And, and then he has this line, which sums it all up. There is no partiality with God. He says to the masters, God doesn't care if this is your household. You're still going to answer to him. God doesn't care how much you work in a week. God doesn't care about the excuses that you have as to why you mistreated your slaves or didn't pass the faith along to your children. There's no partiality with him. He's going to speak to everybody on the same playing field. There is an equal status that we have in Christianity, and that comes through Jesus Christ. So this last line that Paul gives is a reminder to everyone in the household that the only status that we can boast about in our life is the status of being a Christian. You can be the head of household, you can be the child. You can be a boss, you can be a worker. That doesn't matter. When you come into this place, your first and foremost identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Paul preaches that to the Ephesian community and preaches it to the other Christian communities, do you know what ends up happening in the Roman world? It changes. Before Christianity began to permeate the Roman world, there was no sense of equality among people. In the Roman world, if you were Roman and you were a man and you were rich, 
you were the greatest person in the kingdom. If you were not a man, or you were not rich, or not a Roman citizen, you were second to everybody else. And Christianity comes in, and it says everybody is equal. There is no partiality with God. Love one another and submit yourselves to one another in fear of the Lord. So the greatest fear that the Roman culture had was that a religion would come in and undermine it. And that's exactly what happened. Our understanding of equality today, what we get in our Declaration of Independence, we know these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That comes from Scripture. That comes from Christianity. The culture has been changed because of Christians. But I think you would agree with me, there's still a little bit more work to do. There's still a culture out there that needs to change. There's still a culture out there that needs to shift closer and closer to the kingdom of God. And we can do that through our households. We can do that through our places of work. By submitting ourselves to other people, by living in humility to one another, humbleness to one another. Being willing to work as if though Jesus is present at our job, not for our boss, not even for the paycheck, for God. Passing our faith along to our kids and living in a way that they want to grow up and be a Christian just like us. It's possible. Let me close with this story. Uh, it was, I, I believe 1947 was the first year that a black baseball player was allowed to play in Major League Baseball. You, you guys know the name, don't you? Jackie Robinson. First black player in Major League B- Baseball. He played, for, he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And as the story goes, first of all, I, I'd like to point out, the reason he began to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers is because the owner was a Christian. And everybody around him said, you shouldn't let him play. This is going to ruin the business. And he responded, I'm not a businessman. I'm a Christian. And so he allowed Jackie Robinson to come in and play. But here was the problem. Nobody wanted him to play. And they knew that he was going to get beat up on the field. And so they put in his contract a clause that said, you must not retaliate no matter how bad anyone treats you. And they had examples in there. If anybody spits on you, if anyone curses at you, if anyone throws beer bottles at you, if the pitchers intentionally hit you uh, with the baseball, you cannot retaliate. You must live a humble life on the field. And he did. And when he lived that humble life on the field, what they began to notice was that he was a really good player. They began to notice that he was really good and he was changing things in the game. And pretty soon after a year, other teams started to realize, hey, wait a second, that guy's a really good player. Maybe we got some players on our teams. And so they began to call up other black players from the minor league teams to play in Major League Baseball. And do you know what happened? The culture of baseball shifted. Do you know that heckling the pitchers came from the minor league teams that the black players played on. So if you like heckling the pitcher when you're at baseball, you can thank Jackie Robinson. He was the first player to begin heckling the pitcher behind second base. And there was even a game where he called the umpire up and he said, can you tell him to stop heckling me? And the umpire says, it's not in the rules. He can say whatever he wants to you. 
On top of that, it wasn't normal for people to steal bases in Major League. It was allowed, but players never took that opportunity. But the black players in the black minor league teams, they stole bases. And so when they came into the major leagues, they changed the culture. So what you see in baseball today started with a shift in culture with Jackie Robinson, but it didn't just start with him entering into the league. It started because he had signed that he would live a humble life around everyone else. And what they saw in his play outmatched anything they thought about who he was. And that ended up changing the culture of baseball. If, if Jackie Robinson can do that for baseball, what do you think we can do in the world with the Holy Spirit leading our life? Going out and changing the culture to look closer and closer like the kingdom of God. Going out into the world and working for the Lord, passing our faith along to our kids, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for what you have spoken to us today. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for these words to, to live faithfully for you. God, as we leave this place, as we go out into the world, we pray, first of all, that you would change our hearts, that, that we would be the ones that would change and w- would live a life that's closer to you that we would live a life in submission to you, that everything we do, we would do out of reverence for you. And Lord, we pray that that type of living would permeate the society that we're in. It would be a type of living that others would look at it and say, I want to be a Christian just like them. But Lord, we can only do this with your help. So we ask God that you would go with us, that you would go out before we do, prepare those places that we're going to meet, And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be with us and give us your strength. Amen.